I want to talk to you today about what it means to be straight. And I want to share with you a couple areas this morning that I believe God wants to straighten us out in. That we tend to have a crooked view on. When we talk about being straight in a crooked world, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is, that's not fun. (laughs) Who wants to be straight? It's not fun to be straight. We're going to talk about that this morning. Is it really, is there really a payoff for being straight? Have you ever been driving down the highway in a severe rainstorm? The rain's just beating down, coming down cats and dogs, so bad that you see many cars pull off the side of the highway, they don't keep going. When I was younger, I, I don't know why, my father never stopped. I didn't have the kind of father that stopped at anything. He was very aggressive. And uh, he figured, look, it it, it may not get any better. We'll just keep going. I always wondered what his secret was. I always wondered, how does my dad keep going? I never asked him. Until I got older, and I got caught in the same kind of storm with my family. And I'm driving it after I moved to Minnesota. You have those kind of storms. It seems right after you cross the border, about Mason City to Faribault. It's a terrible section of highway in there. And I don't know why it's like you drive into the Death Valley. And once you get past Fairbolt, you drive out of it. And um, we're driving in this rainstorm. And I thought, well, I'm not going to stop. My dad never stopped. No reason to stop. We might drown here or something. And then, you know, it dawned on me. I'd done this before, but it just hit me this particular day. That's how he did it. He watches the reflectors on the post on the side of the highway. You ever seen those reflectors? You're driving along? And now I use those all the time. Late at night, if it's real stormy out, if it's raining out, if it's snowing out, I just watch the reflectors. And I thought to myself, what forethought someone had to put those reflectors along the side of the highway? Because so often when it's rain or snowing, you just lose the highway. You don't know where it's at. But imagine if you had some sadistic DOT worker, and they decided to have a little fun on the highway. And all of a sudden, you know, you get to that lake. I don't know if it's just below Fairbowl or after. I don't know. There's a big lake. You drive over. And they make the reflectors go. And you follow them. Right off the edge into the water, you drown and kill yourself. And someone thinks it's funny. You know? It's funny. Or imagine if no one put them there at all. And you're caught one particular night in this massive storm. And you can't find your way. You're lost. You just stop. You're stalled right there. Well, you know... It's interesting to me that we are more precise about our travel in America than our living. We are more concerned that our young people grow up and know how to drive effectively. But it's interesting to me we don't put a lot of energy into living correctly. In understanding the guideposts of life. We live in a time, if you wanted to describe this time in America, we're in a moral crisis. We're in an age of moral relativism. And relativism means that everything is relative. And relative means that there's no sound set absolute. It's just 
basically, like in the book of Judges in the Bible, when it gets to the end of the book, it says this, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Americans didn't invent that. The Israelites invented it. When God was trying to lead them. And they decided, well, we don't want to follow God. We don't want to do what God says to do. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. And of course, then you have chaos and you have anarchy. It doesn't work. Life doesn't work that way. But in America, we're trying real hard to make it work that way. It's sort of like whatever feels good to you, do it. And so when our youngsters are in school... Teachers really are not even allowed to give them guidelines as regards to sexuality, morality, or else they'll be told they're preaching at the, at the child. And so our children, and many times in the home, children are getting no direction. Most of us here are involved in the marketplace. Ethics is becoming a more popular topic today only because it's sort of in. But behind closed doors, there's a lot of unethical things that go on in our society. Our heroes are among some of the most unethical people, if you want to call it crooked, let's call it crooked, in the world. Uh, let me name a few. Elizabeth Taylor is admired for her great courage against her obesity, against her alcoholism. And yet... She's the biggest playgirl in Hollywood. Madonna's the same way. We emulate her marketing skills. I have watched people talk about this on TV. Straight-faced, oh, she's such an effective marketer. As if that's something to be complimented. Anybody can sell the kind of video she sells. And yet our young people get a very confusing message. We're confused as adults. What is right and what is, isn't right? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? You see, how in the world do you stay straight if we do not even know what straight and crooked really is? And that's my point. We have lost our compass, our internal sense of rightness and wrongness. But we don't know what it is anymore. I went a couple weeks ago alone, late at night, to a movie. I don't want to take anybody because I didn't know exactly what to expect. It's a movie called The Doors, and I'm not saying I would recommend it. In fact, I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it. But I went to this movie because uh, I sort of came out of that. I was sort of a late-blooming hippie. I, I wanted to be older in 1969. I was only 13. I wished I was 18. That's what I wished. But I wasn't. But I, but I had that seed in me, that, that desire to rebel against all types of authority, family, school, the cops, everything. You know, just rebel, because it's cool to rebel. I thought that was really cool. I wanted to be my own person, I wanted to be an individual, and, uh, and I wanted to do whatever I thought was right in my own eyes. So I went to this movie, tried to go with an open mind, thought I'd, I'd reach back to my past, and just get a glimpse of what it was back there and see how my perspective had changed now and then. By the time the movie was half over, I had to leave. I was so repulsed. I could not believe 
that this man Oliver Stone would take Jim Morrison and make him a cult figure and hold him up as this, this rebel with a cause, this individual for people to look to and emulate. And that's exactly what was happening in the auditorium when I was there. It was jam-packed with people between 18, probably 16, and 27. I was probably the oldest person there. And it was like, oh, this guy's incredible. This guy made no more sense than the interviews I've seen with Charles Manson. And I've seen him. It made no sense at all. It showed him doing acid as if it was some really cool thing to do. Really coming in touch with his esoteric self. And all of this language that no one ever understood. And poems that the guy would read that sounded like Edgar Allan Poe. And you know, Poe was a drug addict. And yet we read him in school, don't we? It's supposed to be a great mind. We have no sense anymore of who to follow. Some of our greatest athletic heroes are some of the most immoral people on the planet. But that's okay because they're good at their craft. They're excellent at their game. And so we live today in a very confusing world. It's very confusing. Don't, if you ever wonder what's happening to our young people, you don't have to look much farther than the adult population. Because they are simply growing up and copying the schizophrenic behavior of their adult counterparts. We've lost touch with what's really right and what's really wrong. I would like to propose to you this this morning. I personally believe that it is impossible to know the difference between right and wrong apart from the Bible. I don't believe there's any other book in the world written that gives us a set of moral codes and ethics. We've exchanged that today for sort of a new age mentality that says this. You've got to learn to trust yourself. You've got to learn to love yourself first before you can love someone else. And trust yourself first before you can trust someone else. Do you want to know what the Bible says about that? In Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. Do not ever trust in yourself. Trust in God at all times. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct you and make your path straight and sure. Turn from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I don't wait a minute. How does that jive today, God, with the philosophy of today? It doesn't jive. That's the point. It doesn't jive. As you live your life, you have to make a decision. A conscious decision as to how you're going to live. You have to make a decision as to what is going to be your guiding light. And that's what I want to talk about here this morning a little bit. What is your guiding light? Is it your conscience? How do you trust your conscience? I mean, I'll tell you, our consciences have been awful seared. It takes an awful lot to move us today, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we've got this newfound sensitivity because of the atrocities in Kuwait. 
And because all of a sudden we're seeing interviews done on TV and our men and women were over there fighting for, for those people. But, you know, those atrocities, my friend, have been going on in Nicaragua and El Salvador for a long, long time. Sometimes late at night, I stay up and I, and I, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of a late night person. And I've been watching uh, a series in Channel 2 on black history in America. And I have to tell you, I was not even aware of this in 1962 and 63, but I was absolutely moved to tears when I watched the way the black Americans were treated in this country and to some degree still are today. We're unmoved anymore. It doesn't seem like anything moves us. We're not touched. We've lost our, our sense of absoluteness and rightness and wrongness. We have to gain that back. If we're going to walk straight, if we're going to be straight, if we're going to enjoy life like God intended us to, and if we're going to set an example for those around us, then we must get back in touch with God. And we must allow Him to be our guiding light. Now getting back to that little story I told you about driving down the highway, what I've seen happen in our universities, in our schools, in our family, through our media systematically, since 1965, that I remember starting to watch this, is a slow, a slow, purposeful deviation from right. An absolute, planned, slow deviation off to the right or to the left. And we've lost dead center. We've lost our sense of morality. Today, we are living out what people in the 60s protested about. We are living out our moral fantasies. We are living out, I mean, in the 60s, we experimented with drugs. Today, we have a massive problem with drugs in America. And, and we've just, we've lost our, our responsibility. Our sense of responsibility to do what's right. David said this, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, the Bible is saying, God is saying this to us, that without His word, you do not have a light, an effective light, and you do not have a lamp to your path. You don't know where to go and you don't know where to walk. You're taking a major risk with your life. I want to share this with you if you're not basing your life on the Bible. Jesus, when He was alive, told this to His disciples. He says, you live in a crooked and perverse generation. Jesus told us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And we see the bumper sticker on the highway that says, do unto others before they do to you. Jesus tells us to forgive. And we see bumper stickers that say, to forgive is divine. Or to err as human, to forgive is not my policy. That's the kind of mentality that we have today. Now, we must get back to God's Word and allow it to be the guiding light in our life. If you want to be able to have the intestinal fortitude, number one, to stay straight, number two, to even know what straight is. We have been incredibly blessed in this country. When you start to see other parts of the world and when you start to see things that are going on in the Middle East and going on in South America and Africa and Europe, you begin to get a picture of how blessed we are in this country. I want to share with you one of the reasons why we have been so blessed, so fortunate. 
Some 200 odd years ago, the founding fathers of this country, in a statistical survey that I read, I have in a book at home, if, and if you want a copy of it, you can order it. It's called Christianity and the Constitution. It's been extensively researched and footnoted. The primary book read by all of the founding fathers of this country was the Bible. John Locke and Blackstone. John Locke and Blackstone were both Christian legal minds in Britain at the time. And these men, even Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson knew the Bible. In fact, Thomas Jefferson cut pages out of his Bible, made his own Bible and passed it on to his son. He took out the parts he didn't like and let the parts he didn't gave it, passed it on to his children. <laughs> these guys knew it. Abraham Lincoln learned how to read the Bible. It was the first book he ever read. George Washington knew it backwards and forwards. Patrick Henry knew it backwards and forwards. And these men design our laws. And if you want to call it, the, instead of the Constitution, the conscience of this nation based on biblical understanding and laws, on absolutes. And for the last so many 200 years, we have tried to live by those laws. Now, we're, we've really slipped. In fact, there's a movement in this country to rewrite the Constitution. That it's archaic. It doesn't apply today. Basically, the Bible is outmoded. It doesn't apply to living today. And that's a grave mistake. We're fortunate that those men had the forethought to found this country on an absolute book like the Bible. I want to read you a proverb this morning out of Proverbs chapter 2. And it says this, God shows us how to distinguish right from wrong and how to find the right decision every time. For wisdom and truth will enter the very center of your being, filling your life with joy. You will be given the sense to stay away from evil men who want you to be their partners in crime, men who turn from God's ways doing wrong, for they thoroughly enjoy their wrongdoing. Everything they do is crooked and wrong. Now, I think that's such a powerful statement. First of all, God's telling us that He will give us the insight to be able to discern right from wrong and make a right decision every time. How many times have you wrestled with the decision? You've wrestled with peer pressure. You wrestle with, what, should I stand up and say something? Or shouldn't I just don't know what to do? God would show us what to do if we knew what God had to say. He can't show us what to do if we do not know what He has to say. And then He says this, when wisdom and truth enter the center of your being, your heart, when your life is focused on truth, when it's the central focus, it promises Joy. Your life will be filled with joy. You'll have the sense to know what kind of people to have a relationship with and what kind of people not to. Everything they do is crooked and wrong. We see that today. I see that so often. I mean, we, ethics in the marketplace are almost non-existent. The almighty dollar reigns. Winning is everything. If you have to bend the rules, if you have to change the rules, winning is everything. Now we need to be the kind of men and women. God wants us to be in the marketplace. Young people, in your classrooms, 
in your school, in your peer group, who know the difference between right and wrong and stand up for it. I'd like to read you another passage out of the book of Proverbs chapter 4. This is out of the New International Version. And it says this, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. It shines ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is a deep darkness. They don't even understand what makes them stumble. My son, listen carefully to what I say. Listen very closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight and keep them deep within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a person's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are sure and firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. I have my children master the book of Proverbs. I have my children read the book of Proverbs, a chapter in it, every single day. You know why? Because I want them to have a wonderful, happy, stable life. I don't want them to have the kind of youth that I had. We must guard our minds and our hearts with everything that's in us. We must hold fast on what God tells us. Or you know what will happen in your life? You'll hold fast on what anybody else thinks. Did you know that between the ages of 12 and 18, the number one influence on that age group is peer pressure. Not the parents, not the teacher, not God, not the Bible, not anything but peer pressure. Now when you get beyond that, if you take a survey with the average adult, they will tell you, well, what my peers at work think of me is really very, very important. Now there's ways to find that and people don't really realize they're telling you that. Because usually if you ask people directly that, they go, oh no, it doesn't matter to me. But if you know the right questions to ask, you'll find that most people say, it matters to me. We must make sure that we choose path for our feet that is stable and sure. The Bible tells us that God's Word is proven. It's been tried and tried, and it's proven. It's proven. I can tell you from experience. Someone will ask me this, Mark, I, I, just following God, is it any fun? Is that, well, I'm a fun guy. I, I mean, fo following God has been the greatest blessing that's ever happened in my life. From the time I was 11... To the time I was 19, I lived a very rebellious life. I lived a life, basically did what I wanted. I, my mother didn't know half of what I've done. I never told her. We live in a small town in Iowa, and there's not a whole lot to do in this small town in Iowa of about 50 or 60 people. That's small. And I did a lot of really foolish, foolish things that could have gotten me into a lot of trouble. I just didn't get caught. And then we moved to another town and I got involved in more things and more things. And I want to tell you this. After a while, I had a fill of my ways. After a while, I, I could not believe how boring my life was. How empty my life was. It was so empty. And it was so boring. And then something happened when I was about 19. And I want to read this to you out of Proverbs chapter 3. It says, the man who knows right from wrong and has good judgment and common sense is happier than the man who is immensely rich. Wouldn't it be great to hear a song? I want to know right. Lots and lots of right. <laughs> hey, you don't want to hear that? You see, that is not the world's philosophy. 
And you know, by and large, we'd give our right arm to win the lottery. We would give anything in the world to win the lottery. Who will give everything they have to know the difference between right and wrong and have good sense and good judgment? I have people often come to me and I know that Brent has this, Ken will have this as he's in the ministry. They'll come up and go, Mark, how does someone your age know what you know? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I had a, a man ask me this not too long ago. In his early 60s, he said, Mark, how, where do you get this wisdom? You're only 34 and a half years old. And I make no bones about it. I am not a genius. I've never been. I am not a smart individual. Have never been. I am not just so wonderful and incredible. It is this book. It has been the guiding light in my life for the last 16 years. And, and I remember when I first began to read it, I was shocked at what I found in it. You see, my mother, she'd always try to get me to read it. And of course, it was cool not to do what your mother said. That's cool. That's sad. But that's what our young people learn from other young people. It isn't cool to do what your mother and father tell you. So I did. Then when I was about 19, uh, God started to really work in my life. And uh, I got very scared about my future, decided it was time to clean up my life. And I started reading my Bible. And I was amazed at its logic, at its wisdom, at the peace that started to come into my life. He says, for such wisdom is far more valuable than precious jewels. Nothing else compares with it. Wisdom gives a long, good, satisfying life. Riches, honor, pleasure, and peace. That's the value of wisdom. And the riches here that it's talking about is not necessarily just money. But it's a quality of life that is so rich. I was out last night with my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter. We went to a movie together. We went to a restaurant afterwards to Taco Bell in Burnsville. And uh, I was, it was just filled with uh, teenagers. And, and probably, well, I'm getting older, so I can't even tell anymore if it's junior high or high school. <laughs> that, that's how you really know you're getting older, because I, you know, I used to be able to tell. I think they were probably freshmen, junior high, sophomores. They looked that way anyway. I don't know. My daughter and I were talking, and she told me, she said, you know, Dad, it's, it's is this so amazing to... Because we could hear the conversations and over in this corner. These three young girls are talking about boys and, and just how, how they wish they could have a boyfriend. Someone would like them, but I just don't have what it takes. And, and, and then these over here were talking about something else. And my daughter and I were just looking around and no real, no parent. I mean, all these kids want to do is be with each other. You know, I mean, it's like Celeste said, you know, just because they think it isn't cool to be with their parent, Dad. I thought, you know, yeah, we must really look strange here. I mean, what's it going to look like my daughter's 15 and we're going on a date? You know, we're, we're going out to the movie and we're sitting there. You know, somebody's going to think I'm robbing the cradle or something. That's what they'll think. They'll think I'm out, out cheating on my wife with this gorgeous daughter of mine because it's so abnormal. It's so weird. And she just looked at me and said, you know, Dad, these people, are, they're so hurting. They're so lost. As we're driving home, we're listening to a song uh, by Steve Camp about how he wanted to one, one, he doesn't want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but he wanted to live within a yard of hell, run a mission within a yard of hell. And my daughter looked over; she's kind of getting teary-eyed, and she's telling me, "This this reminds me, Dad, of that restaurant." 
but this is my 11-year-old daughter who has this kind of discernment that I didn't have till I was 24 years old. Because she understands the difference between right and wrong. It's essential, my friends, that you understand that difference. If you want to really enjoy life, if you really want to get the most out of life, you must understand the difference between right and wrong. So I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to get your Bible off your shelf or to go out and get one, get a living Bible, you'll be able to understand it, and begin to dive into it and find out what it has to say. Because I am afraid that for most of us here today, our worldview has been shaped by 10 hours, 15 hours a week in the television, 15 minutes a day to a half hour day in the newspaper, the tabloids, Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, the radio, and everything else that's being thrown at us. If you want to stay straight, you've got to understand what God's Word says. Two simple things that I want to share with you this morning that I believe God wants to straighten out in our thinking, that God wants us to understand. All right? These are two basic principles that I want to pass on to you in closing. The first one is this. Hard work pays off. We live in a society today, and I see this. I was really blown away. i got to tell you, there is a real difference between an Iowa work ethic and a Minnesota work ethic. I'm not trying to knock you as Minnesotans. I'm just telling you the truth. I was appalled when I first came up here and went to a McDonald's and waited five, ten minutes to get waited on. You know what else really amazes me? You go into McDonald's, you know who's behind the counter. The mentally handicapped and the retired. You know why? Because they have a good work ethic. I had a friend who worked in a, he, he, he ran a restaurant in one of our malls, one of our big malls here, and he would regularly fire four to five people a week. Our kids don't know how to work. Because often parents don't know how to work. We're always knocking the system. We expect the government to take care of us. We expect everybody else to take care of us. The Bible tells us this. If a man will not work, he should starve. Those are the words of Christ. The Bible tells us that hard work brings prosperity, that the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Now, I realize that there is a lot of injustice in this country and in this world. But I want to tell you, it's pretty mind-blowing. When you watch Vietnamese people come over here who don't know the language, who don't know anything about the culture, and within five years know the culture, usually have their own business. And I read a statistic the other day, said the average individual, average one is making between twenty and $25,000 on their own. We expect so often today, as college graduates, you get out, hey, I deserve a good job because I graduated. No, you don't. You don't deserve anything just because you've got an education. Go out and get something. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take work. And it will pay off. Young person, old person, middle-aged person, hard work will pay off. Give them everything they ever wanted. I'll tell you, they don't understand the value of work. Hard work, the Bible tells us Ecclesiastes, fills you 
with a sense of joy and accomplishment. But we must keep that in mind. Because today, primarily, the only thing that motivates often young people is to be a great sports hero so they can make a couple million dollars a year. What happened to the dignity of making $25,000 a year or 30 or 20 or an honest living, working hard and being diligent? I promise you this. Your employees, employers, they're watching you and they will reward hard work. They will reward honest work. Oftentimes it may not seem that way. But you remember this, that ultimately God is our employer. God is the one who's over us. We're responsible to Him. And He will keep His promises. If He said the hand of the diligent will rule, then it will. It did with Joseph. You may not have ever heard of Joseph. Joseph was a slave. He, was, he, had, he had a bunch of brothers and they hated him. And they sold him to Egypt as a slave. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked. And he got in trouble for being a righteous guy. He worked for this rich landowner. And his wife accused him of trying to rape her. And he was thrown in jail for 13 years of his life. He didn't do any wrong. And then 13 years later, Joseph ruled Egypt. Because he knew God's principles. He knew they'd come true. Second thing I want to encourage you is this. It is, we live in such a negative world. And it is so easy on the job to grumble and complain. You know what the Bible tells us? Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, not even I measure up to all these standards. What I'm saying is these are the things we shoot for. I couldn't stand up here and tell you I never grumble or complain because my wife's in the audience. <laughs> so I can't say that. You know, she knows me. She lives with me. But I will say this. I, I, try, I, made, I made progress in it. In 16 years that I've known the Lord, that's been what I've aimed at. And God has helped me to become a more positive individual. And I remember when I was in my job situation, I had some really bad ones. I mean, they were just, they were rough. I was lied to on my jobs. I was, I was told I'd make this much and I didn't. And it was rough. It was very difficult. And I remember going out to make sales calls and remembering this, that, that the hand of the diligent will prosper that he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. Those are all Proverbs. And I keep thinking, okay, till the land. Till the land. It doesn't matter what my employer said. I need to keep doing what's right, and there'll be a payoff. And the first, after the first year I was there, my territory doubled. But there were many, many bleak days. There were many days I just wanted to quit. There were many days I would have quit and just said, hey, forget all this. Man, this is a joke. I cannot believe how it, taken advantage of I've been. And there's so much grumbling that goes on in your workplace. Don't be a part of it. Be a spark of light and a spark of joy where you work. Don't join in there and grumble and complain about everything. All it's going to do is bring you down. I'll tell you what. Negativism is bad for your health. You know why I believe that? Well, number one, because Proverbs says it. Griping brings discouragement. Gentle words cause life and health. Proverbs. Secondly, I believe it because I've tested it in life. You ever been around a negative person? My wife, she could tell you about being around a negative person. Because sometimes I can get extremely negative. Before you know it, there's this giant gloom and doom hanging over the darling home. It's just kind of a cloud. It's actually inside the house. And you, it just kind of follows everyone around. Why? Because it's miserable to be around a complainer. And it, you know what else though? It makes you miserable to complain. Makes you miserable. 
God wants your life to be healthy. God wants your life to be full, rich, and satisfying. I want to encourage you to strive to be straight in a crooked world. Next week, I'm going to talk about moral integrity. Moral integrity. How in the world do we maintain our moral integrity in in today's world? I'll give you some more tips on how you can do it and exactly what God has to say about moral integrity. Let's pray.